wake up. It's the Sleep Unplugged Podcast, Episode 76, Insomnia and Popular Media. I love to watch things on TV. Welcome, everyone, to the Sleep Unplugged Podcast. My name is Chris Winner. I'm a neurologist and sleep specialist and your host for what should be a fun and unusual episode of the podcast, something I've wanted to talk about for a while, so I'm glad you could join me. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you are a veteran of the podcast, welcome back. We're excited that you decided to listen to us once again. It's been an exciting time for the podcast. I was sort of reflecting back on where we've come from and where we are. I think this time last year, I remember we had, were getting about 600, 700 downloads per week. And I remember getting something from my podcast hosting service that said, you know, if you were getting 900 episodes downloaded per week, you're in the top five or 3% of podcasts. And so I was thinking, oh, it'd be great if by the end of December, we were getting 900 downloads a week, but that just seems like a dream. And friends of the podcast, we're getting five times that and more sometimes every week. So I just really can't thank you enough for making the show fun, spreading the word, and creating a Sleep Unplugged family of really engaged listeners, which I love. So if you want to get in touch with the show, comment, correct something, criticize something, we're open to all of it. Tell us what you thought about last week's episode about sleep-related eating. Got a couple of really nice messages from you guys about that, that there really isn't a lot of coverage about that. So it was really nice to be able to add that to the wealth of information out there about sleep-related eating disorders. If you bought something from the second annual holiday gift guide, love to hear what you bought, who you're giving it to, and maybe after the holidays, what was the response to the present? So a lot of great feedback from the the episodes. It's uh, If you want to get in touch with the show, it's Dr. Chris Winter Twitter, Dr. Chris Winter Instagram, Dr. Chris Winter Threads, Blue Sky, TikTok. We have a Sleep Unplugged page where we host all the videos of the podcast. If you enjoy watching the videos, which made sense for the episode 74, the gift giving guides, you can actually see the gifts that we were talking about. You can find us on YouTube and interact with the, the show via that pathway as well. So if you're a listener of the show, you know, we always start off with comments, corrections, criticisms, a very quick criticism about Episode 71, or a correction, I should say, hot-blooded, cold as ice. I mentioned that the group Foreigner was composed of Americans and Brits, and that the Brits were all from London. None of the Brits were from London. I don't know why I said that. Appreciate a listener for pointing that out. And and they're right. Yeah, absolutely nobody was from London. Not getting not what you're saying. I meant to say Great Britain. Uh, our comment comes from Rick. Rick wrote, hey, I'm a long-time listener. I checked out your holiday gift list and wanted to know if you ever checked out a nighttime pulse oximeter. I use the low-key O-ring. It changed my life by recognizing my oxygen went into the 70s, which was a reason I ended up on CPAP. Given your care about CPAP and oxygen, why would you not hugely support that type of device? You need to spend more time on this topic. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate Rick is direct, which is exactly what I like. I'm a huge fan of pulse oximeters. And I guess technically I have spoken about them because most of, or many of the sleep tech that we talk about, I, I've spoken uh, during, during the holiday gift guide 
about the fact that I wear a Withings watch. The Withings has a pulse oximeter on it and will warn me if my pulse ox gets too low. I believe the newer versions of the Apple Watch have that as well as the newest versions of the Aura Ring. So yeah, I mean, I think in the, in the era of COVID, a lot of people have pulse oximeters, but some of these devices live on our monitoring units and can warn us if our oxygen goes low. So if you've listened to the show, we've done a couple of episodes on sleep apnea where you stop breathing during the night, your oxygen level drops and you wake up to catch your breath. So you're waking up constantly, catch your breath, which is great. So you don't suffocate, but at the same time, you're just ruining your sleep quality. So if you live by yourself, you may not know that profound breathing disturbances are happening, but if you're looking at a pulse oximeter and, com and particularly comparing it to what happens during the day, you might see, wow, my average oxygen saturation is quite low at night, or I seem to be dropping over and over at night, which is something I'm not doing during the day. So I agree with you, Rick, maybe I should be shining more of a light on these things to help us understand when we might be in danger for sleep apnea. Now, keep in mind, these devices are not diagnostic for sleep apnea. So, but I do think they serve a purpose in terms of asking a question that maybe then you take to your provider, your clinician, your sleep doctor and say, hey, my ring, my watch, my band has been telling me that my oxygen level drops. What do you think? Should I have a sleep study? And frankly, if they say, no, you don't need a sleep study, I would go find a different doctor, get a sleep study. So thanks, Rick. I appreciate that. Really do. Uh, in terms of the title this week, I love to watch things on TV. That is a line from one of my favorite Lou Reed songs, Satellite of Love, which came out in 1972. It was released on Lou's second solo album after leaving Velvet Underground. A lot of people think Transformer was his debut solo album. It really wasn't. There was another album called Lou Reed, which really didn't get a lot of press attention and, and media play. It's, it's really for the Lou Reed connoisseur, I think, and kind of a carryover of VU. Transformer was its own thing. So it was the song Satellite of Love was actually written in 1970 when they were in the studio recording their fi the final Velvet Underground record that Lou Reed would be a part of, which was Loaded. And they actually recorded a demo of it, which you can find in some you know, really eclectic VU box sets, but it was not included on the final album that Lou Reed was a part of, Loaded. They didn't think it was good enough. So he gets together with David Bowie and David Bowie's guitarist, Mick Ronson, who produced Transformer, which is probably one of the premier, definitely one of the premier glam rock albums of all time. I think it's probably one of the best albums, period, of all time. It was just a game changer in terms of glam rock and some of the themes that were discussed in that album. And Satellite of Love is a real gem. So Walk in the Wild Side is the song everybody knows about it. The second single off of that album was Satellite of Love. And I love it because we like to refer back to David Bowie on this show. David Bowie actually not only produced the song, but you can actually hear him in his backing, in the backing vocals of the song, particularly towards the end of the song, unmistakably David Bowie. One of the things I really like about it to relate to sleep is that there is a line in the transformer version of satellite of love that says you uh, i've been told that you've been bold with harry mark and john which is you, know, you can read between the lines what they're talking about in the original version the the line said i've been told that you've been bold with winkin blinkin and nod which was just a term he threw in there because he just wanted to pick random names winkin blinkin and nod 
come from a Dutch fairy tale about sleep and dreams, that Winken, Blinken, and Nod were these three children that sort of sailed in a boat in the sky. And, and I don't know the full explanation of it, but Winken, Blinken, and Nod were chosen by the author of the fairy tale to insinuate sleep, like things that would be happening as a child's getting ready to fall asleep. So Lou Reed had comments later in his life when that was unearthed and they were talking about it. He was like, you know, basically, thank God that was kind of a forgotten version of the psalm because I didn't really want to be talking about being bold, which again, you can imagine what he's talking about with three children from a nursery rhyme. So um, another really cool thing about the song is Morrissey covered it in 2013 when Lou Reed died. So you can find Morrissey's version of it. And, and another crazy related linkage to sleep, the drummer on Morrissey's version of Satellite of Love was none other than Matt Walker. I'm pretty sure Matt Walker, the sleep scientist. So you can quote me on that, that Matt Walker, he doesn't talk about it a lot. And if you ask him about it, he'll probably deny it. But you can look on the liner notes of the 2013 version of Satellite of Love by Morrissey. Dr. Matt Walker is the drummer. So anyway, so let's get into the topic of the show. Really excited to talk about media and sleep because it's something, I think no matter what profession you're in, you watch media, you consume media. And if you're a lawyer and you watch the law show, and I guarantee you, if you're a, a crime scene investigator, your life must be absolute misery watching CSI shows and saying to yourself, we would never do that. That technology does not exist. That happened in five minutes. It would actually take five years to do what they did. So I, I think we all do these types of things. And I don't think doctors really escape that. When you watch a show about medicine, God help you, if you work in the ER and you watch a show about emergency medicine, you're probably thinking that we would never do that. That's not how that works, et cetera. But I have a particularly keen eye when it comes to things related to sleep in the media, just because I think that there's so much misunderstanding about sleep that we're always trying to clear up, that it doesn't help if something popular within the media is creating illusions and myths. And, and I'm not going to go so far as to say disinformation, just, hey, we would never do these things that way. And this all came about and sort of, I guess, came to a head when I was made aware that on Apple TV, there was a new show called Still Up about two people who have insomnia. And so I thought, well, that would be a fun thing to binge and we can talk about it on the show in, in addition to other media. So when it comes to media, I, I think media plays a huge role when it comes to sleep. You're consuming media right now as it relates to sleep. And I hope that the media that you're listening to right now is factually accurate and actually helpful. That's why I'm here. That's why this show is free. We don't have sponsors or anything like that at this point. We just want good information to be available. And I use it like a tool. If I've got a patient who has, for instance, narcolepsy, I might say, hey, listen to episode 39, because that's where I talk about different you know, products and, and, and treatments related to narcolepsy. So when you come back to the clinic, hey, we can talk about it. So I, I want media to be positive. And I think media can play that role, but we have to be very careful about it when it comes to sleep. I'll tell you a funny story. I was actually approached many years ago to do a show about sleep. 
And the producers were saying, we'd like to do this show. It'd be kind of modeled after the doctors and you would have people come on and you would talk about their sleep disorders and you would say how you would help them, et cetera. And it'd be great. And I basically said, I think that's a great idea. I don't know that that, that, that show has legs, meaning this seems like a great 12 part show. We'll do 12 episodes. And then at that point, how many times can we talk about sleep apnea? How many times can we talk about narcolepsy? Maybe you could do you know, more episodes than that. We're, we're on episode, here we are at episode 76, and we seem to be doing just fine. But I, I think for a TV show that's dependent upon ratings, you know, I look at some other doctor's TV shows, and I was thinking, we're going to get to a place where we're going to have to make this sensational at some point. And I could be wrong. I'm not a TV producer. I just saw the writing on the wall where, you know, hey, we want to talk about supplements. It'd be great if you could like not bash them all. And hey, it'd be, we need to talk about, you know, the people who've claimed they've gone years without sleeping. It'd be great if you didn't say right off the bat that that was scientifically impossible. So I just, I just felt like I was going to be put in a position of that TV doctor that was the vaunted and uh, respected cardiac surgeon and now X number of years later to keep his or her show viable, their show viable, they're kind of selling themselves out. So I just wasn't interested in that. So we, we they were great. Okay, we understand. So that was that. And then they called back later on and said, well, we're actually interested in, after having discussions with you about creating a drama about sleep. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool because they were like, look, because they came to see where I worked and we talked a lot in all these meetings. And they were fascinated by the fact that my sleep, our sleep lab, the sleep lab that I started, I no longer have any relationship with, was in a hotel. So within the hotel were people who were staying at the hotel because they were here to see the University of Virginia football game. God help them. And there were people that were in the hotel there for a sleep study. And they just thought, oh my gosh, so there's a staff of this sleep center here. And then there's also the hotel staff and these guests are kind of mingling. This is really cool. This is a great idea. So they wrote a television pilot and got this great director, Michael Selditch. You can look him up, S-E-L-D-I-T-C-H. He's at selditch.com and he's gone on to have a great career. He's a fantastic guy to work with. So somebody wrote a screenplay. This guy shows up, is going to direct it. All these actors are coming. And as we talked about how to fill the role for the, the guy who's going to play the sleep doctor, the main character, they eventually said, would you do it? And I was like, sure. If you want your show to be terrible, absolutely. Because I've got a sum total of zero acting experience. But you know, there was comments about you're dynamic enough and weird enough to make this kind of work. And so anyway, so the premise was this sleep doctor who ran the sleep clinic within a, within a hotel who himself was just a disaster when it came to his own sleep, which I thought was kind of an interesting premise. So it was kind of a dark, you know, show, you know, kind of a six feet under kind of vibe or, you know, that, that kind of thing. And I thought it was fantastic. Like when I saw the cuts of it, I thought, well, this is really kind of compelling and fun, but it really treated sleep disorders carefully that they weren't to be made fun of. They weren't sensationalized. They didn't need to be like, we can educate people and entertain them at the same time. And I think that's where we, 
come into a little problem when it comes to the media's portrayal of sleep. I mean, I was looking at some articles about insomnia and a lot of them use very sensational tactics to get your attention. Why X number million Americans can't sleep. That's a very common headline. I saw an article in on NPR's webpage, another one in Forbes, you know, 60 million Americans can't sleep, 70 million Americans can't sleep. And then there's a whole sort of range of books written by people who've had insomnia experiences, which I think those individuals should write about their experiences with insomnia. But we have to be very careful when the experience is not necessarily shedding a light as to what the topic really is or the way we actually go about treating it. And, and that's really some of the problem that I had with the TV show that I just binge. I, I had a very interesting conversation with Melissa Bond. She wrote a book called Blood Orange Night, Journey to the Edge of Madness. And when you read the blurb about her book, it's about a woman who's gone a long time without sleeping. I mean, a long, so when you read it, you think, wow, it sounds like this woman has been massively sleep deprived and in and, and her experience trying to figure out a way to sleep because for years and years she could not sleep. And so now we're kind of back to that problematic definition of insomnia. And for an individual to pick that book up instead of another book listed right beside it when you keyword search Amazon insomnia, that might be a helpful book. This book is reinforcing that idea that you could go years without sleeping. There was another author that I won't mention that she had reached out to me and, and wanted me to do something. And after having a conversation, I was kind of like, I can't support what you want me to do because what you're asking me to do is to write about something that didn't happen. And again, if you're familiar with this podcast, one of the very first episodes we did was the trauma of insomnia. I'm not diminishing the trauma of it. I'm just saying you can be traumatized by something and not go years without sleeping. That's not at all what happened to you during that time period. That was maybe the perception that you had, or it felt like you weren't sleeping. Your sleep was broken. It was fragmented. It was something, but it wasn't what you're writing about in the book. And if you don't make that clear, that it can be very problematic, I think, for some, for some people. So anyway, let's get to the show. So the show is called Still Up. And if you have HBO, which is now called Max, which don't get me started about that name change. I'm, I'm my generation HBO is iconic so to not hear the little HBO iconic music at the beginning of the show and to see a purple max it just seems like kind of like Twitter moving to the name X like why did you do that you've got the best name in the world but you know whatever so this was a TV show written by Steve Burge and Natalie Walter and let me tell you something congratulations Steve and congratulations Natalie for writing a show and getting it picked up by HBO and put out there. I'm not here to sort of critique a television show. That's not my job. And I've written a sum total of zero television shows, starred in a sum zero, total of zero television shows. Was it my cup of tea? No. And not just because of what I'm about to talk about when it comes to sleep. It just wasn't sort of my kind of humor. Um, I don't like shows where 
crazy things are happening. You're trying to order a pizza while the guy next door who really likes his cats is having a cat party. And you told him you couldn't come to your cat party. So you're hiding in your house, but also trying to order a pizza. It just seems kind of contrived to me. Um, but anyway, again, the show got actually pretty decent reviews and the actors who played the two main parts and individual uh, named Lisa, who is a, I think she's a photographer, but she's got terrible insomnia. Then her friend Danny is kind of a programmer person and he's agoraphobic. He's got insomnia. And so they communicate a lot at night, but they really have never only met each other once or something like that. So that's the premise. And so, you know, every episode starts off with ka-chung, you know, kind of the law and order boom in a massive screen filling letters. It's 12, 13 a.m. So everybody is aware that it's nighttime and everybody's awake and they're on their phones. And, you know, the very first episode, there's a, you know, over the counter medications there. So you can see that they've tried those. Well, they didn't work. And they're talking about apps and they don't work. Just this whole thing about, well, don't try that. It doesn't work. And I have a friend who did this. It didn't work. And just that kind of nothing works, like nothing makes us sleep. And so that that kind of idea about insomnia, which is fine. I mean, again, maybe the, the the individuals are portraying people who are not particularly enlightened about their own disorder. So I guess my biggest first problem with the situation is that it's a 30-minute comedy. And that's how it's listed. Let me tell you something. I don't find insomnia funny at all. And it is interesting to listen to them talk about their insomnia in sort of funny ways, I, I, you know, as a clinician and somebody who treats a lot of insomnia, I, I don't find a lot of people find the condition amusing. And we kind of went through this when it comes to narcolepsy, that there was a, a show called um, Ode to Joy, which came out, I think, in 2019. It was a movie. And I mean, there's been a string of movies related to narcolepsy. And it was interesting. I thought, oh, well, this is great. This is going to be kind of a serious depiction about narcolepsy. And it really wasn't, which you can add to the Deuce Bigelow's and the, um, I think Matt Damon wasn't had narcolepsy. And it's, it's always a joke. There's some show about like a cannonball run across the country and one of the characters had narcolepsy. So it is interesting when you think about narcolepsy as a model, there was a, a study in 2022 that was called, it said portrayals of narcolepsy from 1980 to 2020, a descriptive analysis of stigmatizing content in newspaper articles. And what was funny was there was a, a small article, I think it was the, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine published by a narcolepsy advocate named Julie Flygar. She's fantastic. Project Sleep is her thing. She's constantly advocating for more awareness of sleep disorders and narcolepsy. She was at the White House recently and she wrote a little article and in it, she said something of the order that, you know, these movies offer a representation of narcolepsy in films and provide valuable insight into the public perceptions and understandings of narcolepsy. For many individuals, these cinematic depictions may be their only exposure to the symptoms and impact of narcolepsy. By being aware of new cinematic portrayals of narcolepsy, medical professionals and patient advocacy organizations alike can help patients navigate the film's influence. Julie's the nicest person you'll ever meet. I, if somebody said, hey, Chris, why don't you take a look at these movies, including Ode to Joy, 
once you write a little quick blurb of what you think, it might have would have been scathing. I'm so tired of it being like the punchline. You know, he's playing tennis and something happens. Oh, he falls over. Like cataplexy was a big component of that movie. And it's just not what patients are experiencing. So again, we sensationalize it. In that study, that 2022 clinical journal clinical sleep medicine study, they looked at a ton of articles and, and media about narcolepsy. And they found that in about 11%, there was sensational titles. You know, inappropriate, negative, outdated language was used. In about 10% of the articles, uh, yeah, outdated language was used. Stigmatizing and stereotyped content was reported about 20%. 62% of the articles was disclosed that a patient had narcolepsy. And in 5% of the articles, um, they were described, described narcolepsy as being dangerous. The presence of an accurate diagnosis was referred to in about 30% of the articles, while 16.7% described in, in identifiable symptoms and services for diagnosis and treatment were mentioned in about 24% of the articles. So these are not really offering a particularly complete look at how this condition works. And so if we go back to insomnia and we go back to our show, Still Up, number one, is insomnia funny? Is that, you know, is it something to base a show on? That's up to you. I mean, I don't find meth addiction to be particularly funny, but Breaking Bad didn't wasn't creating a comedy about it. I mean, there were some funny moments, you know, magnets, bitch. But for the most part, that was not what I would consider a funny show. It was a very dark show. So dark that family members of mine do not like to watch it. I think it's one of the best shows that's ever been recorded um, on, on television. But for some people, it's a little bit rough. And again, you can do something funny and serious at the same time. I think MASH proved that for many seasons. So when you look at Lisa and Danny, there's a lot of problems with this show. Number one, the, 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 the idea that nothing works. And yet when you look at them, there's really nothing particularly problematic about their lives related to their insomnia. Now, they don't show the character sleeping outside of one scene where I guess Danny is going to do this big Rolling Stone interview that he's been prepping for. And when the video call comes in, they kind of zoom out and Danny is asleep. He misses his great opportunity, which is always frustrating. Like as the viewer, you're like, oh, great, great. You know, he doesn't get to do it because he fell asleep. But then they have this opportunity to kind of talk about sleep as it relates to insomnia did danny perceive the sleep what was his conversation with lisa like about that gee interesting about my insomnia because i do sleep a lot when i don't want to but i have trouble sleeping when i do want to i wonder what that means so by episode four lisa goes to a sleep clinic and this one just this one fried my brain First of all, she arrives at the clinic, the sleep clinic at 1041, and it's unclear how she got there. Did she talk to a doctor about it? Like, what was the referral process? It doesn't really don't. It's almost like she just decided to go to McDonald's and get a burger and then go to the sleep clinic afterwards to have a sleep test. So she's arriving at a sleep clinic way too late. I don't know of any sleep clinics that allow you to arrive at 11 o'clock. I mean, bet people are in bed by that point. Number two, 
she's greeted by the tech who's rude. Let me tell you something. Techs are all stars. If you're a sleep tech, you're the best. And I'm telling you, the sleep techs that worked for me back when I used to run the sleep center were just all stars. They were amazing. And they were the ones who created the great sleep study because they were welcoming. They were disarming. They made people feel comfortable. They explained things well. So, you know, it was kind of like you could see the writers sitting around writing this thing. Let's have the tech be socially awkward and super rude and slam the door on our page when she gets, there. you know, whatever. Okay. So great opportunity to kind of dispel the myth that it's a scary process because it's really not. I've had so many patients say, oh my gosh, Chris, your your tech Tiffany or Priscilla or Sarah or you know, whoever, they're, they're all great. Tabitha, they were great. I was nervous coming in, but oh, it was just such a great experience. So they really missed the opportunity to kind of show what the sleep study involves. And so she talks in the episode about having restless leg, but she sort of talks about it like it's not a disorder and not something that can be treated. Well, maybe Lisa, your insomnia is related to restless leg, which we've done several episodes about this on the show, that it's a circadian disorder. So as you get closer to going to bed, you become restless and that's what's preventing you from falling asleep. But that's just kind of thrown in there. Like somebody looked it up on Wikipedia and said, I'll tell her. She has so what's totally crazy is, okay, midnight, the sleep doctor walks in. And there's the whole thing about the sleep doctor being super serious and very regimented. And Lisa is trying to call Danny on the phone and she's sneaking her phone around and she's sneaking out of the room and calling from the, it's just such a ridiculous depiction of what goes on during a sleep study. It was like almost unwatchable. Like none of this ever happens. And she's meeting other people from other sleep studies and vending machines and they're talking about stuff. And of course, the one person who's there, he said he's there for the fourth time because of night terrors, of course, has a night terror where he's acting like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's just and sets off an alarm. And so at the end of it, she gets banned from the sleep study. I mean, I've never never banned anybody from I can't I'm mean, pulling a gun, I guess. We had a guy one time bring a knife to the sleep lab. Now it was a bread knife, the little serrated long bread knife. We didn't know he had it. And in the middle of the night in his sleep, he woke up and pulled the knife out from underneath his pillow and started scratching his back with it. That was his back scratcher, but it kind of freaked the tech out for a minute. She's like, oh my God, he's got a knife in his hand. It just, he disappeared out of nowhere. He's like, oh yeah, this is my back scratcher. Well, it was a you know, bread knife. Now you couldn't have really hurt somebody with the bread knife, I don't think. But anyway, I mean, these things happen. That's great. I mean, if somebody say, listen, if you're doing a show, if we're doing season two of, are you still up or are still up? I can give you a million ideas for free that you could base your show on that would be funny, but really wouldn't take away from the seriousness of the disorder and what actually happens with these individuals do a study. So short answer is she walks out of there wide awake. She never seems to be at least bit tired, reinforcing that myth that I guess Lisa doesn't really sleep. And that was that. It was kind of like the, the, the treatment that patients need for their insomnia was just sort of a joke for episode four. So I, you know, 
I don't want to go too long on this episode here. And I'd love for you all to watch the show and send me a DM, DR Chris Winter Twitter, DR Chris Winter Instagram. Uh, I'd love to talk to the people who made the show. We could, I mean, I listen, I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. You know, it's just, it's one of those things where people are struggling. We do, in case you didn't notice, it's the first Monday of December, the first Monday of every month we dedicate to insomnia because it's a huge, important, serious topic. It's not funny. And it's interesting that a criticism of my book, The Sleep Solution, if you read, if you go to Amazon, look up the book, then go to the reviews, just look at the one-star reviews. There are sometimes little notes that he is condescending or he's making fun of. No, no, no. I'm not making fun of insomnia. What I'm trying to do is to take the person who's on the edge of the cliff and say to them, hey, it's okay. You're okay. Let's let's step away from the cliff because do you really think you can't sleep? Does that make sense to you? I'm trying to use humor successfully or not. That is debatable. I'm trying to use humor to diffuse the situation a little bit because we're creating you know, the drummer, that Morrissey drummer I was talking about wrote a book. And in that book, he has a lot of truths about sleep that are frankly scary. So if you're terrified of your insomnia and you're getting those kinds of truths in your ear, it takes the anxiety, the fear, the panic to higher levels when you're seeing some of that information. I'm trying to say, look, true, true or, true or not, Let's step back because we're just talking about a Tuesday night where you can't sleep. We're talking about an individual who woke up and had trouble getting back to sleep. We're talking about things that might be considered normal. The fact that not every night we don't fall asleep in three minutes. Every night we don't get up to pee and go right back to sleep once we get back to bed. Every night we don't sleep perfect nine, a perfect nine hours. And that's okay. And maybe I'll make a joke about that, but it's not laughing at you. It's trying to make the condition of insomnia a little bit less terrifying. Yes, there is a wild animal outside of your tent, but it is a possum or a skunk. It is not a bear. That's all we're trying to do. And you know, my note to the media, if anybody's listening, is if you can make a show called Hoarders and it be popular, you can make a show called Super Nanny and it be popular then you can absolutely make a show about insomnia that not only shows it as it is, is wildly compelling, but as the super nanny rolls out of that family's house, she's left them with concrete ways to make things better. We can absolutely do that with insomnia too. So cheer up. And if you need another great show on HBO to watch, there's plenty of them on there. What if, what if a Gilded Age has been my obsession of late? And, and I'll just give you one little quick trivia about the Gilded Age. This, this year, the Gilded Age is all about two opera houses battling it out, which is just compelling, like you wouldn't believe. Um, it's right up there with the Downton Abbey storyline. And the two opera houses that are duking it out are the Academy of Music and the Metropolitan, which is the new opera house on the block versus the established you know, uh, Academy of Music where the Astors lived. And a real cool piece of trivia is the Academy of Music 
is the Palladium, which was a concert venue in New York in the Upper East Side, I'm sorry, Lower East Side. It was demolished, I think, in 2003, either in 97 or 2003. I know Fugazi played the last show there, but there were some iconic albums. The band recorded some iconic albums there, live albums and, and whatnot. So if you need a good show to watch, watch The Gilded Age and you'll be up to date on, on, on that little piece of trivia. So that's it. Love that you're here. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, criticisms, corrections, you can find me at DR Chris Winter Instagram, DR Chris Twitter, DR Chris Winter, DR Chris Winter Instagram, DR Chris Winter Twitter, DR Chris Winter TikTok. Uh, my books, The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep's Broken, How to Fix It, as well as The Rested Child are available for your consumption. Check our Spotify playlist out where we put all the music we talk about on the show, including... Lou Reed's Satellite of Love. And yeah, we're going to we're going to throw the Morrissey version on there with Matt Walker rocking the drums. Until next week, everybody sleep well.